Well, good morning, church family. I'm glad to be here. I'm Nathan Price. I serve as one of the pastors here at First Baptist Cordial. We're glad you're here on this Sunday. Uh, we sung songs about Jesus. Now we're going to learn some more about this boy. And the text today, we're going to continue in our Luke series, is Luke 2, verses 39 through 52. Luke 2, verses 39 through 52. I thank you for being here on this day. And there's a big event happening tomorrow that all the state of Georgia will be tuning into. So I'm going to say this once, go dogs. So there we go. I live close to Alabama when I was in Florida, and I loathe the Crimson Tide. So there we go. And I also hate Florida, so there we go. Well, with that, let's look at the text together. Luke 2, verses 39 through 52. It says this, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. 41 there. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him, and him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they not, did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard them were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Pray with me. Dear God, I pray we make much of your word today. I pray we, I pray you just illuminate it and speak through me, God. Let your words be heard and just hide me behind your cross. And God, let us just uh, absorb who you are today. We're grateful for this time we can gather together. Let's make much of you today. We pray all in your name. Amen. So this is a very interesting story. And for some of you, we maybe have heard this before, but... Some of you probably heard this before, too. I remember very distinctly growing up as a teenager, I had a WWJD bracelet that I wore around, right? A What Would Jesus Do bracelet. I even remember having a Transformer sticker on the back of my truck, uh, speaking of Romans 2. And, you know, these things aren't inherently bad, right, having something like that. But, and I, along with others, wearing these things or having the stickers on your vehicle growing up, it may be... Help me not engage in some sinful behavior. It's possible, right? And morally, maybe I didn't go watch an R-rated movie or go to some party. And, of course, again, it's not a bad thing to have these things, to remind you of who Jesus is. But what matters most is, like, are we doing it for us or for Jesus? Are we emulating the king here and his word rather than our own moral ideas of what he wants for us? And so, based on that, for us, it's a good question. What would Jesus do? And guess what? We get a glimpse right here as Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, of what Jesus did. It's pretty interesting because all throughout Scripture, we don't have much about Jesus' teenage years at all, really. And, and this verse here shows us a glimpse of what it's like. There's some other stories that circulated during this time uh, throughout the early centuries of the church that contain some fantasies. 
and some legendary stories of Jesus in his childhood, but they're just not true. And supposedly he touched some clay birds, and they, be, and they came to life and flew away. Another legend is that Jesus, the, as a young boy, curses some bothersome children who immediately dropped dead. And after tales like this account, Jesus being left here at the temple seems pretty tame, doesn't it? And we do wish there was more about teenage years, his teenage years, but there just isn't. Charles Simeon says this regarding this. There is a little related of him to gratify our curiosity, but enough to regulate our conduct. Luke gives us uh, the story of Jesus the boy here to show us who he is and how we should emulate this boy in our own context, and in our conduct. And hopefully you, as you came in, you got your outline, you got a worship guide, and the outline's inside there, but it's first point there on our outline. So the title of the sermon is, What Boy Is This? Right? This first point is, the boy knew how to worship. Look at verses 41 and 42 there. What were they doing? What everybody did during the time. What were they doing? Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. They were going to worship in Jerusalem, right? They were going, right? How did he know how to worship? His parents showed him what true worship was. He had probably done this for many years. Now he's 12. He kind of knows the, what's going to happen, Right? He saw it from his own parents, even though he was the son of God. And guess what? They lived it. They were going to the Feast of Passover, right? This is what everybody did. There's, there's lots of people going. So it's like the pilgrimage of Georgia. We're going to Atlanta, as I told my students this morning. We're all just going to walk. And we didn't have camels in Georgia. We probably would rode, we could rode wild hogs. There's lots of those around, right? We rode those up to Georgia, up to Atlanta, right? So everybody's going, right? He knew everyone. And every certain time of the year, people would go, right? And here, here, it's interesting because they obeyed the law here, but they didn't do it by choice, or they didn't feel restrained by it. They wanted to go and do this with their people, right? And let me ask you, what about you? When you come to worship, and maybe you came in here, maybe it wasn't really your choice, maybe you got drug in here, it's possible. Was it a choice, or do you use it as a restraint? Because guys, we come here to worship the king of all kings, Right? Around here, we call it, said we come here to come to behold the glory of Christ. You've probably seen that a lot more. We're going to be saying that a lot more, and hopefully that's why we're here. That's why all the church gathers all over the world, to come behold the glory of Christ. Because here it is, we're all created to worship. And in Genesis, when God says, fill the earth and multiply, that's what he's talking about, multiply it with worshipers. He gave Adam and Eve the charge. But here's the thing, it's filled with worshipers, but most of them aren't worshiping the God who created them. And because of sin, it's clouded. We worship the world around us more than we worship the God who created us. We must worship cor cor correctly, and the Word will prove to you what they worship. So what about you? If somebody could label you on what you would worship, what would they say? What would it be? And guys, like I say, lots of it's for tomorrow, right? Lots of us worship college football. College football is not a bad thing inherently. At all. Right? Because here it is. What should we be doing as parents? We should be pointing them towards what worship is. Because again, coming to church is not about us. It's about him. Glorifying him. And luckily by glorifying him, guess what? We get the return of his glory. Because here's, here's, here it is for parents and grandparents. just to show what true worship is and who exactly is the king. Because <laughs> he is the king. So next point there. 
The boy knew how to value people. How do we know this? You can look at the text there, 43 and 45. What's it say? And he, when he, the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. <laughs> but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and they did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Some of us just shudder at the thought of Mary and Joseph botching this parent move here, right? This is home alone. This is where they got the storyline, right here, right? Here it is. We see it. They're just not doing their jobs is what we think. What are y'all doing, right? Leaving a 12-year-old in a big city? It's a big city, and there's lots of people there for the Feast of the Passover too. But again, Mary and Joseph had completed what? Their worship obligations, and they were going home. Obviously, they trusted their son. They didn't even know he, he wasn't with the group, right? Or he remained behind. Why? Because he was just doing what kids do. He was socializing, being around people, valuing other kids and the people around him. And again, this is a large crowd. And Jesus would have known many of them because they're all going together. They've probably been going for years together. It's like they're all going on vacation together, right? And it seems from this that what? Jesus was very sociable. As a boy, we can see that from this passage. His parents understood that he needed to value people. And his social skills were that important to them. They were so sure Jesus was out socializing that what? They didn't even bother to look for him until night. <laughs> they didn't find him with the caravan of people. They went back to the town that they were just in. So what, what, what does this mean for us? I think it means this, that we should also teach our kids that social events and socializing among peers and other people is important to the development of them. But as, they, as most of you guys know, today's kids are growing up much different. And it's changing the culture in a way that doesn't value who you are, but who you pro portray yourself, right? Like we can all fall victim of this. Because it's not about who we are, it's about how we portray the people around us, right? We can hide that's not how God intended it to be. As, as, as most of us know, there's so much info that can be gained from what? The internet. You need to know how to do something, what do you do? You YouTube it. You need good resources for a Bible study, you can find it on the internet. But here's also what you can find on the internet. You can find lots of bad things. Things that aren't true. Why? Because clicks get you paid for things you write. Which devalues the good, truthful things that are out there. And this outrage culture that's out there, this outrage, even false oracle, gets more attention and goes viral, even though it's not true. Here's the thing. We act like we know someone because of what they tweet, maybe the videos they post, like they're our friends and we know them, but it's mostly just a facade. You know, and that's not who they really are, but that's what gets them paid. Guys, it's amazing <laughs> what content creators on YouTube make. For just for views. But the game has changed when it comes to marketing and stuff like that. They market themselves well, and guess what? You can have a following. And lots of times, from what I can see with my own children, is they think, they, they think they're a part, right? They're playing to that psyche in your mind. But truly, these guys are making bukus of money just for views on their videos. These public figures are called, are creating a culture for themselves while claiming it's for others. And parents and grandparents, we need to be aware where these kids are getting some knowledge. Some of it's good and some of it's just not. Because here's the thing, we have to teach them how to manage it. It's not going to change. 
I said this before. We have to teach them how to manage social media, how to manage the internet, because it's, it's just going to continue to get, use it, right, and get better and get more access to it. Because we need to be aware. Because I'm afraid kids don't know how to carry on a conversation face-to-face. We have to remember our kids' social development is important, just like Mary and Joseph did. They need help and encouragement, but they must watch you, and you must be, again, kids have to be taught certain things, how to socialize with others, right? They need to be taught to be caring, joyful, helpful, and loving. We don't need them to be revengeful, arrogant, jealous, or selfish. They can do this all on their own. So what we do with our kids and what they value and how they socialize Right? Brent McCracken, who I think is a book, he, he's written a book that all you guys should read. It's called The Wisdom Pyramid. He takes the food pyramid and sticks in the wisdom aspects of it and how it's, our culture has changed so much. It's a great book. This is what he says about this, The Wisdom Pyramid. It's just too good not to share with you. It says this as we finish this point off. Go online with your full body hazmat suit on. Take a flashlight, stay alert to dangers, always mindful of the highly contagious nature of the sickness online. But don't abandon the sick. Don't leave them these places to rot. Instead, find ways to heal, to redeem, to be light in the darkness. Promote sources of life and truth and wisdom. Scripture, the church, nature books, beauty in the online space. Encourage the online world to, to breathe fresher air offline. But do what you can to improve the air quality online. With what you say and what you do online, plant virtual flowers and trees instead of clear-cutting virtual forest. At a table even more cluttered with fatty, sugary foods, high in spiritual cholesterol and artificial flavors, offer something both delicious and nutritious. Don't just inoculate yourself against the sickness of the online AIDS. Go, go your part to find a cure. So what do we do with our time and our talent? What are we doing with our platforms? Hopefully we use them to glorify who God is. Because God God doesn't give you anything by happenstance. (laughs) You're supposed to use it for him and for his glory. The people you associate with, the circles you run in, God has you there for a purpose. Right? And it's to glorify him, to bring glory to his name. To be obedient to his word and to his design for your life. So guys, just be aware. Just be aware of this. Next point there. This boy had what? Knowledge and truth. This boy had knowledge and truth. Look at your, look at your text there, verses 46 and 47. So they've been searching for him. After three days, they found him. Where? In the temple. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Why? And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus had knowledge at 12 that we just can't fathom. But others around him didn't quite understand it either. And we can see that from verses 46 and 47 here, right? Remember, Mary and Joseph couldn't find him. It actually took them three days to actually find their 12-year-old son, right? A 12-year-old alone for three days in a big city with millions of people. That's interesting, right? And when they found him in the temple, in the place that they found Jesus in the temple, it was like a lecture hall where classes and discussions would take place and the doctors of the day of theology and religion would come. So this is like the pilgrimage they would make, and they invited the big wigs to come and speak on different things of Jewish law and the Old Testament and stuff like that. I mean, this is the big-time people, right? Because everybody's coming together. They invite the best of the best. So he's there, and all the public was there to learn from these teachers, but they were amazed at this boy and the understanding that he had. Again, 
Who was there? Gamil. Gamil was the one that trained up Paul. Another guy named Halil, a teacher there with large following throughout the land. Another guy, Shammai, another scholar with a large following. And here, this 12-year-old boy. <laughs> Deep in discussion with these men, and, and they, along all the public, were amazed at what he was saying and what he was teaching them, right? But it's interesting here because Jesus, throughout his life, always took advantage of his opportunities to spread the gospel, right? And learn more knowledge and truth. And guess what he's doing there? He's learning from these guys, but he's also turning around and teaching them as well. So what are we doing with the opportunities we're given to know more about truth and knowledge of Jesus and his word? Guys, what are we doing with this word? What are we doing with it? It's good to come and hear it exposited on Sunday mornings, but it's also great to eat it every single day, to get into it, to pray, have a good prayer life, have a devotional time. Because he was thirsting for knowledge. Jesus himself was thirsting for knowledge. The Greek word means there to listen quickly. Listen quickly. The questions he was asking revealed understanding and knowledge never seen before. And everyone were astonished and overwhelmed and bewildered with this boy's knowledge and understanding. But for us, we, we're not that caught off guard because Psalm, Psalm 119 tells us. It says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aids, for I keep all your precepts. So what, what does it tell us about how we should approach Jesus and his word? I think we should take every opportunity we get to learn more of the truth. Guys, come. <laughs> be a part. Be a part of Sunday school. Be a part of quiet time. Quiet time doesn't take long. Be a part of who God is. How do we do this? By his word. We have his word right here. He read it and gave it to us, right? Tap into his spirit. John 8 tells us, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. So we should know more of the truth, but we also should thirst for more knowledge and understanding. That means besides just reading, you get you some good commentaries or get you some good theological books and try to get to know more of who God is. Right? What did Jesus say? Again, in Proverbs, he says this, The heart of the man who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of the fools feed on folly. What are we feeding ourselves? Back to the wisdom pyramid. That's what Brett talks about. How it used to be the, the, the scripture was the basis of where we start. And now, it's the internet is the basis of where we start. Be aware of what you put in. Your body is fueled by what you put into it. We know this. Be aware of it. Be aware we need more knowledge and truth. Next point there. This boy was also misunderstood. How do we know this? Just look at the text there, 48 through 50. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And what did his mother say to him? Son... Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And what's the next verse there? Look, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So you, as, as parents, and most of us are parents, and are just understanding that we can understand the anguish that Mary must have. If you've been looking for something, even if you're looking for something minute in your house, and parents, you can relate to this, and grandparents, and you find it, it's like a glorious day. It might be something as simple as a sock, or, I mean, it, it happens all the time in my house, okay? It can be something that simple, and it's just like, oh, there it is. But again, this ain't just searching for a sock or something, this is searching for her son, right? 
But again, she knows her son is something different, something special, doesn't she? And Mary's forgetting that here. She's caught up in the moment emotionally. We can relate to this. We understand this, right? She's missing the mission and who her son is. She's missing it at this point. Again, I think she has every right to be upset. But after she takes a breath, she needs to realize again what God's already done. What he promised to do through her own son. Right? She's disturbed like all parents have been. It's not like she wasn't his mother and she was, had been teaching and discipling him and doing all these good things for him. There's no doubt about that. But now, even according to tradition here, Jesus was technically a man at 12. So it used to be what we were at 18 in the USA. As I can remember, it was supposed to be a big deal to go sign your draft card when you turned 18 and that kind of thing, right? You do these certain things, and you know, I think we've progressed where it's a lot older than that now. Adolescence, not that that's a good thing. But here's the thing. By all expectations, Jesus was exactly where he was supposed to be. And he tells her, what's he tells her? He was in his father's house, exactly where he should be. And this is something paramount here. Because his own earthly father is standing right there. Right there. And what is he saying to us all? This is the first time we see in Scripture that Jesus himself calls himself a Messiah. The first time we see Jesus relate on what God's going to do through him. He says he's in his father's house, and guess what he is? But I think here's a warning here for all of us. I feel like we can, we can and do forget who Jesus is. And he may be even in sorrow when things look bleak. We've just messed it up. We allow circumstances to cloud our minds and we miss him for who he is. We misunderstand who he is and how he's working. And we allow these things to be balled up and get us caught up. And we soon forget about Jesus and his design for our lives. And by doing so, we miss him working and ministering to us in the midst of it. What's Deuteronomy 4 tells us? Deuteronomy 4, 9 tells us this. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things of your eyes have seen. Or let, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. It's that important. But again, they also misunderstood what? His messiahship. Why? Because they can't fathom that. I'm not quite sure Mary even understands at this point. I think she gets it if you read on. We're going to talk about that. But this is the first time again we recognize him as the son of God. Right? He called God his father and his earthly father was standing right there. It seems like Joseph's not upset by this. He's bewildered by it. He doesn't quite understand, Right? Why? Because Jesus probably knew how to deliver it like no one else could. But he, he was clear, and it was a definite statement on who this boy was. Just when Jesus understands that he's the Son of God and the Messiah is not known, but at, at 12 here, he was obviously aware of the re, unique relationship he had with God, the Father. Again, this relationship was much different than other children. He had a Father in heaven, and he was the Son of God the only true Son of God who came from the Father to earth. I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say here to all the people there and his mother and father. That Father, his Father God, had been looking after him. He is what? Stating that he's in his Father's house, doing what his Father wanted him to do. Therefore, he was under his Father's care, and he was watching over him. There was no need to worry. So what about you? 
Do you understand if you're in Christ, it's the same for you? We shouldn't worry about that. We are in Christ. You're in the watchful eye of what? God of the cosmos. God of the universe. And his care. When you follow Christ and make him Lord, it causes you, God, to adopt you as well. And you're placed under his care too. It's that important. And they also, they just missing it. They also misunderstood that he had work to do at 12. He's telling them that there. He's saying that he had work to do for his father. And even that work was not understood. He couldn't go home with them until he had finished his father's work and what his father had willed. John 17, 4 tells us, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have gave me to do. So what about you? What are, we, what are you doing on earth with what God's given you? If you're in Christ, what are you doing with it? Whose glory are you after? Because Jesus said to them in John, the Gospel of John, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So what are you doing? Are you, are you there with him? He's there working. The Spirit's at work. Let's join him there. What does that mean? We have to do something. Right? We should serve God, and while serving him, the work will start to be understood. We must remain faithful to God and even his call, even if we're misunderstood, because we will be, and sometimes even opposed. And that leads us to our last point, maybe the most important point of all this. The boy was obedient. Man, that word's been thrown around here a lot. But here's the thing. If Jesus was, Jesus was obedient, guess what? We should be too. He was obedient to his earthly parents. He was obedient to who? His father God. He was obedient to the laws of God too. Also, it's interesting because Jesus obeyed the law completely. And he never even talked about the law, right? Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson says this regarding Jesus and his obedience here. I think it's phenomenal. In Christ, we catch a glimpse of the blessedness that accompanies living in wholehearted and undeserved devotion to the Heavenly Father. In him, we see God's law in human form. We see that obedience to it is the pathway to glorify and enjoy him. At no point did Jesus find the law irritating nor did it diminish his joy. Ferguson, continuing on, says this about Jesus. He was no legalist. In fact, he was accused of being the very reverse. But because he loved his father, his father's express will was important to him. Nor did Jesus find obeying the law an irritating restriction, adapting on his spiritual joy. Indeed, every Christian acknowledges that if you want to see life for what it's really meant to be, you look at Jesus. But there is only one Jesus, Jesus, the law keeper. So what about you? What are we doing with it? What are we doing with this? It's pretty clear if it's good enough for Jesus, it's got to be good enough for us. We see how obedient to Jesus was to his Father in heaven. But also, let's see how obedient he was to his earthly parents. What? Because Jesus was both subject to his earthly parents, and he obeyed them as also the Father in heaven. And I think, as the Son of God, he set the perfect example of what a child should be to his parents. And here, I mean, this concept of children obeying your parents, I'm afraid, has become glossed over and lost in some culture. And my generation's part of that. Uh, it seems that kids run the show, but parents, like I preached earlier this year, we have a responsibility to raise them and point them to Christ himself and his design. Because here's the thing, if you aren't influencing your kids, you, you better believe it, the earth around them is, the world is. We must teach them how to manage life on earth 
and be obedient to God's design, his word. So they don't fall into sin. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, the Shema. It's that important. I talk about it all the time because it's that important. We'll read it again. What's it tell us? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Guys, we have a responsibility to take this next generation and raise them up to be what? Better than we are. Better Christ followers than we are. And guys, I'm going to tell you, they're going to be. But we have to take part in it. God's already at work, but he needs us to help them. (laughs) Right? We need to show them grace. We need to pick up their hand when they fall, show them who Jesus is, and show them we're there for them. We're in their corner. And they are going to be better than us. Praise God for that, because he's still at work. He wants them to be obedient. We're supposed to be obedient to our call. We want them to be obedient to their call, right? And here's the thing. Jesus obeyed despite the fact that Joseph was not even his true father. Was he? And Jesus obeyed despite the fact that what? He was stronger in spirit than anyone else on earth. And Jesus obeyed despite the fact that what? He was full of more wisdom than anybody at 12. And Jesus obeyed despite the fact that God was his father. I mean, look at these verses. Jesus does be to his father and mother, but also his father in heaven. What's Colossians 3.20 tell us? Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And children, guess what? We should look to Jesus and be, and be our example. I wish I would obey my parents more. It would have caused me less heartache. They were trying to do the best they could to point me towards him. And I screwed that up way too many times. But guess what? I still should have tried. It's not that I'm trying to be better than my friends. I should be like Jesus, right? That's exactly what he's talking about. Of course, Jesus loved his Father in heaven and his parents on earth. But guess what? That's what we're called to be. Seek his design and seek his ways. Is this something to be said here? Even Jesus' earthly parents didn't quite understand him, but they were also obedient to God the Father. Do you see this? They were also being kind of like, how do we know this? Because look at Mary there. What's it say? It's very, it speaks volumes. It says in 51 there, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his, what's it say there? And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. She had treasured up in her heart. And here, here it is. And men that, have, that are married have wives. Wives can, there's something about a wife and the maternal instinct that they have with a kid. Something we just don't have. I just, I've, I've seen it four times. Eventually the kids know who I am, but moms have a maternal instinct. And here it is. Women have this connection with their children that we won't have until they grow up a little more, I think. But here's the, she had to know how special he was. She knew. Did you hear her out blabbing and bragging to everybody how great he was? She was humble and kept her admiration in her heart. It talks about it. Even, even to her relatives. Because you know how great Jesus had to be. He never sinned. He never disobeyed. He never had to get corrected. Can you imagine? She was quietly and humbly doing what? Waiting on God to do his work through her son. Guys, I think we should be humbly waiting and praying that God does his work. Because I'm, I'm proof positive that prayer works. <laughs> Me doing this doesn't make sense. <laughs> if you look back at my life. 
But people prayed for me. Why? Because God was at work, right? They were, they were humbly, but they also, guess what? They were confronting sin in my life. It might have made me mad at the time, but it was the absolutely right thing to do. But guess what? She was raising her son Jesus, right? In time, she knew God would reveal who he was. And guess what? This boy that she's raising is also going to save her from her sins. So what should we do with all this? I think we should do this. We should train ourselves and our kids to be like this boy in everyday life, in every way. Even though they can't be perfect and we can't, what better example than trying to emulate Jesus? We all should seek to learn and teach our kids that as well. We shouldn't expect the minimum when it comes to being a Christian. The minimum just don't get it done. Not for Jesus. The problem is too few pursue Jesus like we're called to do. <clears throat> as we close this out, I borrowed this story from Barnhouse. It says this. An Irish legend tells us of a king who disguised himself and went into the banquet hall of one of his barons. He was escorted to a lowly place among the throng who sat at the feast. The brilliance of his conversation and the nobility of his manner soon attracted the attention of someone with sufficient authority to escort him to a higher table. The same thing occurred once more, and soon he was seated among the nobles of the land. After a display of great wisdom, one of the lords spoke out, In truth, sir, you speak like a king. If you're not a king, you deserve to be. Then the king removed his disguise and took his rightful place among his subjects. That same thing is what happened when Lord Jesus came to earth. Although he was disguised as a lowly carpenter and raised like all other boys, he was the king of kings and the lord of lords. But many couldn't understand this boy and the man he became, and they were blinded by their own pride and sin. They couldn't see the boy the way God had designed him. Even when he grew to be a man, many still wouldn't recognize him for who he was. He was the Messiah. And he gave more than sufficient proof of that throughout his life of who he was, even when he was a boy, and even more when he grew and matured, that he had come from the Father to redeem all mankind. So what about you? What about you? Do you recognize this boy that became a man and was always the Savior of the world? If not, I urge you to fix your eyes on Jesus, repent of your sin, and trust in him. Because Jesus proclaimed to be, and he turned from a boy into a man that died on the cross for your sins. And because of that, you have a relationship with him if you're in Christ now and forever. So if we have that relationship, what does that mean we should do? We should emulate him in how we worship, how we love our community and the people around us, how we grow in knowledge of him and his word how we seek to be obedient to his word and his design. And by doing this, what does it do for us? It allows us to continue his mission of the gospel throughout the world.